Today on From the Heart, I'm chatting with Evelyn Culnane, Manager of the Transition Support Service at the Royal Children's Hospital. Evelyn and her team help young people prepare to move to the adult healthcare system. It's a really empowering process and something that will benefit them in the long run. And if they can see the worth in it and the value in it, if they're ready to embrace it, then it can be a really, really positive thing. I'm one of your hosts, Rachel Knowles. I'm a journalist and I live with a congenital heart condition. From the Heart is brought to you by Heart Kids. If you're enjoying our podcast, you can help other listeners find us by leaving a rating or a review. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're recording on the land of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation, otherwise known as Warung. We acknowledge the traditional owners and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We pass that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. Evelyn, thank you for chatting with me today. Where are you joining me from? Oh, it's a pleasure to chat to you, Rachel. I'm joining you today from my home, but usually I work at the Royal Children's Hospital. Beautiful. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I'm hearing about your program has just been like this little, I suppose, light bulb in my brain being like, this is amazing. This is really, really exciting. So I guess tell me a little bit about, I guess, take it back to the essentials, that transition. So the process of moving from a children's hospital to an adult hospital, Tell me a little bit about that term. Yeah, uh, well, I guess um, just to start with, transition is very different from transfer. So most people think about transition as that move from a children's setting to an adult setting, but it's actually a long-term process. And so really the plan is to start early and to have those discussions and support mechanisms in place for young people and their families well during early adolescence and well before they actually move to an adult service. So... We'd ideally like transition to be a holistic process, which encompasses not only their medical care, but we think about their psychosocial needs, we think about their educational needs and other worries that they might have in relation to even just becoming an adult with a heart condition. What does that mean for them? And looking at, you know, what's important for them. So that's our starting point, really just looking at what their concerns are and what's most important to them. The holistic approach we love. And I guess I'm really interested in, I know that it's a hospital to a hospital, but it's a children's hospital to an adult hospital. What's the difference, I suppose, between the hospitals when we think about that sort of stuff? Oh, gosh, I think it's really about the people and often I think, and the systems. So systems might operate quite differently from what patients and families are used to at a children's hospital. And it becomes a model which moves from a family-centered model where Perhaps your parents might be managing your care and moving to more of a patient-focused model where the reliance is really on you as the young person with a cardiac condition to manage your care independently. And that can be quite scary both for the young person themselves but also for their parents. I suppose is that responsibility potentially what could cause an interruption? Do you know much about why these gaps in our care pop up? Well, we know that even though the statistics show that we have improved over time in terms of, you know, young people with cardiac conditions not being lost to follow-up, but we still have lots of room for improvement. And I think we know that interruptions in care could be for a number of factors. And if we're not addressing the real issues at heart from early adolescence before young people actually transfer to adult services, then we run a greater risk of young people not making it into the adult system. So the transition process itself is not only about their medical care, again, it's about thinking about what 
do we need that young person to know about? What can we support them with before they transfer? What are they struggling with if they are struggling with something prior to their move to adult services? And understanding that adult services run very differently. So, for example, sedation, for example, is not necessarily offered or provided in an adult service setting um, where it might be the procedures in a paediatric setting. And there's greater reliance on young people to manage their own appointments and their scripts and to know about their medical history, their cardiac history. And when they get to the adult service, if that knowledge isn't there, if they don't have the right information with them, that can often lead to poor outcomes as well. Possible reasons why young people experience interruptions in care. The whole notion that young people need time to get used to their adult healthcare providers. And we know from lots of studies that some young people take as many as four or five visits with their healthcare provider before they actually feel comfortable. You know, the idea behind a good transition and introducing young people to the healthcare providers before they actually move to an adult service can actually help to mitigate that problem in some respects and really help with that engagement, putting a face to a name, realising that the adult cardiologist, for example, is a human after all and very personable. And so really just understanding that it's all about the team that they're going to and understanding what their role is within all of that. I like that a lot. I think you're moving across and this is, you know, a big responsibility, but also the people who are on your team are supportive and safe and get to know them and get comfortable with them. So you feel empowered to step up into the next part of life. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about, I suppose, that movement, that transition and the realities that sometimes in these situations, we do have gap in care. This is where you come in, I imagine. So you have a team at the Royal Children's that runs one of the best transition programs in the country. In essence, what is a transition program and kind of what happens in one? Thank you, firstly, for the compliment. We have a great team which consists of a number of different disciplines, allied health and nursing disciplines in our team. And we're able to sort of offer as tailored as possible um, an approach based on the patient, their needs, their medical conditions and We really look to who might be the best fit within our team and also depending on our capacity as well as a team. A transition program really is about supporting the emerging autonomy of the young person and working with parents too to understand what that means for them, to communicate plans and develop plans and collaboratively, patients and families, but also with their clinicians and looking at what options might be available kind of demystifying the whole move because the whole notion of transition can be quite scary for young people who and families who've only known the children's hospital setting for all their lives. And so the idea of actually launching into the unknown is probably one of the most um, scariest aspects of transition. It's always that first conversation that's the most difficult. Having had that first conversation, that often helps to break the ice and helps to alleviate some of those anxieties. And I think the power of knowledge too is really quite immense in the transition space. So the more that we can arm young people and their families with the knowledge, not only of their medical history, but how it's going to work and who they're going to, what is it going to look like, what is their role within that, what can they do? And it's a real empowering process, which involves a whole lot of goal setting as well. So understanding what's important to them, firstly, setting some goals around that, 
and setting some goals around, well, how can we address those differences in adult services? How can we support you to become more empowered as you move into something which is quite different? Beautiful. In terms of that empowerment as well, like obviously being in a major centre like Melbourne, you're working with communities that and people that live you know, in regional areas and rural areas and remote areas and all across the state and potentially further. How does living outside of a major centre impact the way that transition can happen? I suppose, what are the supports that within the program to help families that do live beyond the city? Well, I guess not that there were many positive aspects of the pandemic, but it really has helped to bring people together and raise the importance and profile of telemedicine and telehealth, bringing together and people and clinicians, patients and families, young people together in a way that wasn't necessarily as accessible before. And now it's open to all patients. And I think that equity in terms of access to programs, supports that might be offered in a big city centre, for example, at the Royal Children's, is much more accessible for rural and regional patients. And it really helps too with bringing together the clinicians that might be caring for these young people and families in rural and regional areas and bringing them in as part of the transition planning process. So we're often working with GPs, for example, in local areas or maybe local paediatricians or local cardiologists in those centres and really sort of bringing together a plan with that young person and their families. I love that. Look, I try to lead by example in most of my life, but I cannot lead by example when it comes to a GP. I struggle. I'm yet to find one that I love and am committed to. Uh, that's a downfall of mine. In terms of the transition period and I suppose overall health, a GP is so important. I suppose what does the role of a GP sit in a transition? It can be really huge. And for a young person with a cardiac condition where it might be just a measure of uh, largely monitoring and surveillance in their local area, a GP is gold in terms of providing those prompts for tests that might have been needed at certain points in your life. They're so integral in terms of thinking about providing the right referrals to the right providers and establishing those links that you need to manage your overall healthcare. As part of transition, that's the first thing we talk about. Do you have a good GP? It really is a conversation that needs to start way before you, you move to an adult service. And more and more, we're finding that Adult services particularly will rely much more heavily on GPs to co-share and co-manage care. So it's actually integral. So, for example, if you live in a rural and regional area, having a great GP locally to co-prescribe medications for you is what's needed rather than relying on a busy metropolitan centre to write those scripts and to get back to you in a timely way. So having a GP that you can trust and that is able to meet your needs holistically is really, really important for your cardiac care. What is it that saying? It's like you don't build a house on sand, right? GP is a strong <laughs> and solid foundation. Yes. I think my transition into adult care was really disjointed and a very difficult process. And I think furthering that was I did live in a rural setting as well. So it was very interesting. And it's even more interesting now what I'm 25 and my mum still wants to come to all of my appointments. Only now am I able to go to appointments on my own. Bless her soul. But it's been interesting to watch how she has also coped with my transition into adult care and the impact that process has had on her where she still wants to be involved and she still wants to know things. And 
I'm really interested in how, I suppose, the program is tailored to the child involved, but also how parents and carers are involved in the transition process and program as well. I guess the first thing to note is your parents are always going to be your parents. And you can be 40 or 50, but your parents will always want to be your parents. In recognition of the fact that they've provided so much wraparound care for so long, it's really just having that discussion involving parents in that transition process that's critical to them feeling able to let go and enabling them to delegate certain tasks or certain responsibilities to their team. That's a really active process and an active discussion that we have with young people and their families as they come into our clinics. It actually doesn't just happen on its own. There are probably some families who do it really well and well before they even arrive at the first transition clinic, they've already started that process. For some other families, it's not anything that they may have thought about and it takes that first discussion to think, oh, well, perhaps I could be doing things a little bit differently. Perhaps I could be asking my team to make their own appointments or answer the questions for themselves in appointments and encouraging solo time with their doctors or nurses and managing their scripts and medication or knowing about their medical history. That self-advocacy and building that confidence is something that actually doesn't happen just overnight. It's something that needs to be instilled and supported throughout that transition journey and parents are critical to that process. I suppose two ways and one of that is 100% as you've just said empowering the self-determination over you know your teen's health. Do you have any advice I guess the other way for the teens who are at the stage where you know their parents can kind of let go and hand this that I suppose that relationship between yeah letting the parents step back a little bit you know they've worked so hard for so long it's time for them to sit back and let the teens take the wheel. Well, I guess the first step is for teens to let their parents know that they're ready to say, I'm right to do this, I can do it and give me this task or let me pick up the script or, you know, how about I email my doctor and I'll copy you in just to keep you in the loop. So that often helps parents to feel connected. The part that parents often struggle with is feeling left out or feeling like they're not being supported through this process as well. And so for them to actually feel comfortable with their team taking on more responsibility, they've got to believe in the notion that their young person can be responsible, but they have to be given an opportunity to be. And that's a conversation that we have a handout in the transition service around young people negotiating their own care and negotiating their independence. And that's really what it's about. It's not forcing it down or demanding autonomy it's something that needs to be negotiated and in some respects proven that really dedicated discussion between a young person and their parents to be able to enable that really sort of supportive process to occur and it's a a necessary process not only for adult services moving to adult services it's actually more broadly about becoming an adult scary scary thing a terrifying thing I can imagine that you've worked with so many young people through that process. I guess, has there been, I suppose, a common thread about hesitations or anxieties about that process? Even just starting that discussion can be quite difficult for some young people and families, and particularly for parents, perhaps, who have been there for the whole entire cardiac journey and possible complications along the way. And also, I think families connect with other families and young people connect with other young people. 
hearing some of the perhaps horror stories that might occur or things that might go wrong. And that often influences how they feel about and their own anxieties about what might happen to them. But everyone's really different. And I think acknowledging that transition is a very individualised and flexible process and finding the right people within your care team, finding the right people to talk to about your transition who will support your transition is actually really important. That anxiety often lies in the belief that adult services is different. It's our job to actually support young people and families to feel more comfortable um, about that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's the thing, you know, when you're so used to a a space, even my hospital that I had my surgeries at, like I can get around that hospital without a map. I know exactly where to go. I know exactly where to eat. I know exactly where to park still to this day. And it was terrifying, the idea of having to leave that, having to leave, you know, the pictures that I've seen every year of my life, the giant chessboard out the back, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, now the adult hospital is my hospital. I know exactly where to park. I know exactly where to walk. But it takes time. It's very, it's an intimidating process for sure. I guess on the other end of the spectrum, what has been, I suppose, elements of the transition process that have really empowered that progress? Because it's all very patient, you know, young person led, they create the goals that they want to work on. They also are in charge of the timeline at which they achieve those goals. And I think seeing that change and seeing that positive difference, even just having those elements considered and thought about, leaves it front of mind and it's not something that young people have an opportunity to work on, not only when they're at the children's hospital but moving into adult services as well. So transition sort of doesn't just stop when they transfer to an adult service. It continues um, through to adulthood. And really I think it's young people understanding it's a really empowering process and something that will benefit them in the long run. And if they can see the worth in it and the value in it, if they're ready to embrace it, then it can be a really, really positive thing to young people. I could remember maybe the months before we, or the year before we had conversations about my transition process into adult care and the anxiety in my stomach about that. I suppose, do you have any words of wisdom for young people who are looking down, I suppose, the barrel of moving hospital and moving care? Yeah, look, I think you are in charge of your own destiny is probably the first thing. You've got the power to make it as positive an experience as possible. Find the people, find the transition champions or find the supports that you need to make that good transition. Know who to contact as well. So whether it be in the paediatric setting or in the adult setting, but ideally both, know who it is that you can get in touch with issues arise or if you have questions or concerns and perhaps ask your paediatric team if you can get to know your adult cardiologist or your adult healthcare team before you actually move to an adult service ask them if you can be referred earlier and that will enable you to get to know them maybe understand if you feel comfortable with them before you actually finish up at the paediatric site so having that joint process is something that could be quite helpful in the long run. I don't know about you, but I have a love for like bridge building people, which I very much see you as as somebody like that, where you take two different things and you build them together and you build a community and unite people. And that's a really beautiful thing. I think you've been doing this for over, what, two decades now in transition-related roles. And I mean, what keeps you doing what you do? 
Well, I love seeing the positive difference that you can make. And from, you know, that first visit, that first conversation where there might be hesitancy or some cautiousness about the process to actually seeing the end outcome and young people and families feeling really comfortable and seeing how affirming the process can be. I think that's really important. I love working with teens as well. They are in a position where they can really make the most of their care and their lives and they can really steer the ship in lots of respects to where they want to go and they can create the care package and the care team they want at the end of the day. But understanding how we can support young people to drive that, to feel like they can self-advocate is part of the challenge that we have. But it's such a great process and it's such a privilege to be working in the space. Has there been, I suppose, a moment or I suppose a particular case where you kind of the weight of what you do? Is there a moment that you reflect on quite a bit? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Every day and every time we talk to a young person or talk to their parents, we understand the gravity of what we do. We understand the importance of our roles within that system. And as you said, Rachel, being able to connect people together, being able to alleviate some of those concerns and anxieties around what that might look like for them and how different it might look like for them at the other end and understanding it's all a bridge it's not a definitive stop and start it is a bridge it's a continuous process we try our hardest to make that process as smooth as possible (laughs) oh beautiful look is there anything else that you'd like to note or you would like to add it's an evolving process transition and and there is always scope for improvement but at the end of the day It's all about relationships. It's all about knowing who to ask, what to ask, and having the right supports around you. So it is possible and a positive and good transition is always possible and we see it every day. And even if you don't have a transition program at your hospital site, you can still engage the right supports to enable you to have an experience, a good transition at the end of the day. So I'd encourage everyone who's going through that process or who perhaps hasn't had a very positive experience with the process having landed in adult services to find the the right people to help you advocate for change and to bring about that positive outcome. I think it's a beautiful reminder that, you know, even when you're in these situations where you do have to do a lot of medical appointments and you do have to do things like this, you actually have the ability and the power to kind of you know, take it on and look after yourself and you've got your own back and you have a lot of people that, that love and support you and will help you on that journey as well. So it's a very lovely thing to have that reminder. Absolutely, Rachel. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us. Thank you for letting me pick your brain. It's been wonderful and it's incredible to know that there's people such as yourself and your team. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for the opportunity Anytime. to chat Anytime. Today. Sometimes this podcast deals with some heavy things. If this brings up anything for you or somebody that you love, it's important to reach out for help. The Heart Kids Helpline provides support and guidance for anyone impacted by congenital or childhood heart disease. You can call the helpline on 1800 432 785. To access more information about childhood heart disease as well as support from Heart Kids, visit the website at heartkids.org.au. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect your or your family's health.